All right, let's, uh, let's pray. And uh, we'll take a look at Mark 12. Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you. Lord, I pray that uh, today would, a day, would be a day in which we love well. So I'm asking you, Abba, would you release light and revelation upon us? We could hear from heaven the eyes of our understanding. Be opened. We know your thoughts and your feelings. We'd sense what you're saying. We perceive the glory of the Lord. Perceive the glory of the Lord and the beauty of the man Christ. God, release revelation. Waves of revelation. Draw us in to understanding. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come even more powerfully now, Holy Spirit. Open our eyes. Let us see this beautiful man, Jesus. Let us see the beautiful branch of the Lord. Oh, we love you. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Good, in Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Is it me or is that rain just anointed? It feels good. I like it. Something on that. I tell you, the Lord has spoken to us through signs in the heavens and rain and rainbows and all sorts of stuff. Speak to us today, Lord. Let's take a look at uh, Mark chapter 12. We're going to continue in a series that we've been on about the glory of the Lord. And uh, we've been talking over the last several weeks about the glory of the Lord. This is part four. And today we're going we're to talk specifically about the glory of the Lord in the beauty of Jesus. The glory of the Lord manifest in the beauty of Jesus. In the beauty of Jesus. That's a phrase, you know, I was paying attention to a lot of our worship songs this week. And we sing about how beautiful Jesus is all the time. And, uh, b- but you know, a lot of times we just sing stuff uh, and we don't even know what we're singing. And um, I-, I, want, I want a living revelation of the beauty of Jesus. And, and what I mean by that is I want to daily comprehend the glory of God that's resident in Christ. The, the essence of of God that's resident and arrays Jesus, this glorious, beautiful man. And uh, we just want to lean into that a little bit this morning and see if uh, the Lord will, will give us an opening and open our hearts. Let's look at Matthew 12, verse 30. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. With all your mind, with all your strength, this is the first commandment. Second is like it, is this. Second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, And with all your strength, with all that you are, all of your thoughts, all of your passion, all of your energy, with all your emotion, all your emotion. You know, people sometimes they'll they'll say, well, that guy's just a little emotional. And I mean, I think there is unsanctified emotionalism, but I don't know. When he says love him with all your soul, I don't think you can, you know, you can miss by loving him deeply, loving him emotionally, loving him fully, loving him exuberantly. And um, I, I look at this, and you know, we, in the house of prayer, we want to base all of our ministry on these two thoughts, on these two commandments. Loving God first above everything else we do, 
And then loving others, second. Not loving others in tenth place, loving them second. But letting that, uh, the second commandment, come out of an overflow of the first commandment. Where we fall in love. And we touch God's heart. And we're moved in our emotions. We're moved in our minds. That's why I love our internships. Because I watch people come in, and in three months, they get moved in their heart and their mind in a way, uh, in love, that they never have in their whole life. And they, many of them have been saved, you know, 10 uh, years, and they, they get blown away because they fall in love. They, they actually, with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, they begin to touch love. And uh, this is what we base all of who we are on, loving God first. And I, you know, I'm just sitting here meditating on these thoughts, thinking at the end of the day, All I have to do in life is love him well and love others well. It's all I have to do. Love God well and love people. And if I love God well, I guarantee you I'll love people. Because when you go right into his heart, guess what you find? His love for others. And it directs you right into it. And so if we give ourselves to abandonment and love, I I believe the second commandment happens automatically uh, from an overflow of the reality of this first uh, commandment. But, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at it and I'm just saying, Jesus, have I loved you well? Have I loved you well? Have I loved you rightly? Have I loved you uh, the way you deserve to be loved? Have I loved you in a manner that you're worthy to be loved? Have I abandoned my soul? Have I abandoned my mind? If I abandon my strength, my heart, if I abandon myself to giving you love that's worthy of your name. And I pray that I would be a person, the end of my life it could be said of me in the corridors of heaven, not the, not the opinions of men. Because you know, you can have on this, in this earth, you can have a reputation but your reputation isn't necessarily the truth of the reality of your heart. And I want my heart to have such a reality that I loved him well. That they don't just say something, wow, he was on fire for God. He loved Jesus on the earth. That they say something about me in the, in the, in the halls of heaven. That in the, in the book of the Lord where it's written uh, a remembrance of all those that fear the Lord. That it would say, Billy loved Jesus well in accordance with the truth of who he is. See, you're, you're not called to do anything else but to love him well and from there love others. Really. If you love him well, I guarantee your business will go well. But at the end of the day, if your business blows up, at least you've loved him well. Love him well. Because it doesn't matter when it's all said and done, what they say about you on the earth, it really matters what the testimony of heaven is over your life. And I'm wondering about my life, and I'm, I'm staring at it, not with a critical, condemning heart, but I'm saying, Jesus, am I loving you well? Am I loving you well? There's a lot of stuff I'm doing for you, but am I loving you? There's a great difference. We do, and we do, and we do, and we do, but do we love and uh, I think there's going to be some little old ladies that have spent their lives cherishing Jesus. They've spent their lives from their heart caressing Him, falling in love with Him every morning. That when we get there in the age to come, they'll be seated in the first seats. And we'll see many ministers and many of those that have done great things for the Lord. And they'll be near the the rear. Because the first and great commandment is to love him. To love him. To love him with abandonment. To love him with my whole soul. With my whole soul. All my soul. Love him with all my heart. All my passion. That's what he's talking about. All the passion of my life. To love him with all my mind, with all my thoughts, to love him, to love him. 
You know, the thing about it is he commands us to love him, but that supposes this, that we know the way he thinks and feels about us. It presupposes that because the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. First John tells us that. So you can't do the first commandment unless you have a revelation of love burning in your heart of how God feels about you. You know, it's a, a, a sad thing is many of us have the first and second commandment. We kind of know them. We kind of, we know them by rote. We could just, uh, you know, recite them, but we don't have a living revelation of the love of God towards us internally where our hearts are burning with this truth that God loves me and he's beautiful. And from there, we actually can love. If you don't have that in place first, you can't even do the first commandment. We need to know love so we can love. And I was thinking about this, you know, even if he was unlovely, even if he was not lovable, hard to love, it would be right for me to pour all of my love on him. It would be right for me to expend myself loving him. And I think sometimes we've gotten confused We've thought building my ministry or building my business equaled loving God. And I, and I think in some ways it can equal that. But I think sometimes we just try to make a bigger ministry and we've, we, we've missed the focus and the focus is no longer on loving Him. It's really producing something for ourselves. Because I want abandonment in my soul. I want abandonment in love. And even if he were unlovely, even if he were one that was hard to love, it would be right for me to expend all my days lavishing love on him to the highest measure. It would be right for me to love him with all my heart, mind, all my soul, and all my strength. But here's the truth. He's not unlovely. Here's the thing. He's the most lovable one there is. He's the most beautiful one there is. Jesus Christ is the most captivating one to our senses. He's the easiest one to love. And so when he tells us to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, he's not telling us to do something that's difficult. He's telling us to give ourselves to something that's very easy, loving the one who's the easiest to love. Here's the thing. Jesus is the easiest one to love. He's the most alluring, the most lovely, the most beautiful. He's the most amazing to behold, and he's the most tender-hearted and easiest one to love all at the same time. It's, this is like a no-brainer, easy job. Love God. I mean, it'd be one thing if he wasn't beautiful and he was hard to love. But instead he goes, love God. He goes, and I'm the most beautiful and the easiest one to love. Loving him with all that we have. Spending ourselves on him completely is really one of the easiest things there is. And love from our heart, it shouldn't come out of duty. It shouldn't come out of Oh, I've got to love God today. God, I'm going to love you. I love you. I love you, God. God, I love you. And we've just got this furrowed brow and we're, you know, gritting our teeth and trying to love God. It should come as an overflow of revelation in our heart. It should come as a reality. Hey, God is beautiful. God is lovely. Jesus is tender and wonderful and amazing. It's beautiful to behold. Wonderful to love. And I think this, I think that one of the reasons why we don't find ourselves abandoned to God in love the way I think that our heart, I mean, I just said a few things and we kind of went, oh, I don't love him good. You're okay. Your love is authentic. It's genuine. Don't get under condemnation. I need to love him in a much more abandoned way myself. I'm not trying to bring us under a yoke. What I'm trying to do is free us to love him in a greater measure. And here's the thing. He, he wants us to see him as he is. And I think the reason why we don't love him in an abandoned way, one of the main reasons is we don't see him as beautiful. We don't see him as lovely. We don't see him as amazing to behold. We have all these other attractions in life, and they gain our attention, and they gain our affection, 
because we don't have the vision of who Jesus really is. We don't see Jesus as beautiful and arrayed with the glory of the Father. Yet that's who he is. And this concept, this topic of the beauty of Jesus, it should be one that strikes our heart in such a radical way that we are compelled into affection. We are compelled into abandonment. We are throwing ourselves into pouring ourselves out for him. The beauty of Jesus, the glory of the Lord in the beauty of Jesus. Because here's what happens. When we see him, we will be captivated by him. Captivated. Starstruck. Enamored by him. When we get a glimpse, we don't ever want to forfeit that entrance that we have into the beauty of who he is. Have you ever been staring at the scripture and you're reading the same thing you've read however many times and all of a sudden it opens? And all of a sudden the thing is alive like it never was before. And it might stay alive for a day or a week or however long and then you'll go back to it a month or six months later, and you'll notice, hey, it's not, I mean, it, I, I know what I got that day, but it doesn't have that same pizzazz on it. You know what I'm talking about? What's happening? In that moment, the Lord is enlightening your eyes. He's allowing you to see, in a, in a glimpse, just a glimpse of the beauty of the Lord in the Word. You're, you're getting your eyes enlightened just for an instant. You're getting to peer into the realm of the eternal just for a minute. And isn't it amazing how just reading the scripture, when it opens like that, your heart goes, it comes alive. And you think, man, if I could just stay here forever, that would be good. I got a hint for you. You're going to stay there forever. Really. There's a day coming when your heart is going to continually be fascinated over and over and over and over again. You're going to be thrilled for a million millennia. Your heart will never stop crescendoing in the knowledge of the glory of the Lord Jesus. This is where we're headed, beloved. And he gives us, he gives us entrance now. He gives us opportunity now to go into the revelation of his beauty that our hearts would come alive in love and that we could love him in abandonment even in this age. That's where he wants to take us, to love him in abandonment even in this age. And what would it be said of the community of believers who really love him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength? They really love Jesus. They don't just love what he can do for us. Don't just love the idea of loving him. They love him, pouring themselves out for him, enamored with him. I want to be enamored with Jesus. I'd be so starstruck with Jesus that no other created thing can gain my gaze. I don't want anything else to, to, to gain my, my eye gates or to gain my ear gates. I don't want anything else to take my attention and to take my affection off of him. I want to see him in his beauty. I tell you, he's the most beautiful one there is and he's the easiest one to love. And if we can get a revelation, just a glimpse, maybe even this morning, just get a glimpse. The beauty of the Lord. Redirect our gaze. Redirect our focus. Now flip over with me to John, chapter 1. John has an interesting commentary on Jesus and his glory. He may say more than... I haven't measured it, but I think he might say more than all the other gospel writers about the glory of Jesus. He surely references Jesus' glory quite a bit. John 1, verse 14. I always remembered the first phrase of this, but I didn't really ever commit to my heart the, the second few phrases. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I always use that to prove Jesus' deity. But look at the next phrase. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
We beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. See, John and the disciples, they perceived Jesus' glory as a man walking on the earth. They comprehended this man is arrayed with the glory of the Father. He's clearly one that came, not, not as an offspring of God, but from the side. The begotten term is actually pulled from the side of the Father, coexistent and co-equal with the Father. The only begotten of the Father. We beheld the glory of... Here's what John says. We beheld this man. And after spending time with him, I came to understand this. He was equal with the Father. The glory that was on him made it clear to me. He's equal with the Father. I beheld his beauty. I beheld the weightiness of the presence of God. He goes, because the glory that I beheld, it was full of grace and truth. He goes, I hung around him enough to understand this was no common man. This was a man arrayed with glory. Arrayed with the very essence of the Father. A human with glory upon him at the highest measure possible. Here's the thing Isaiah says about Jesus in his earthly form that he had no form or comeliness. He wasn't beautiful to behold. Physically, he wasn't anything special. In fact, he might have been a little ugly. He might have been a little bit, you know, you just look at him, you kind of go, well. But he was so arrayed with glory that crowds thronged him. I mean, they couldn't get enough of him. They wanted to be with him. Glory beautifies. That's what Isaiah 62 says. Isaiah 62 says this. God says, I'm going to put glory on you, nation of Israel, and you are going to be beautiful. The kings of the earth are going to behold your glory, and they're all going to be drawn to you, Isaiah 61 tells us. They're all going to be drawn to the brightness of your rising. See, God can take of his essence, put it upon someone, and it will cause everyone to be drawn to that one. See, when darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the people, the Lord's going to arise and shine upon the people of God. And I tell you, the, the evangelism method, biblical evangelism method for God at the end of the age is putting glory upon people. And the earth will be drawn to it. Not going to be drawn to our ability to try to be cool just like the world. I promise you. I promise you. If we, we can cool it up as much as we... And then they're not going to be drawn to that. They're going to be drawn to glory. Rising upon a people. Just as they were drawn to glory that was risen upon Jesus. And John says of him, he goes, I looked at him. I watched him for three and a half years. He's clearly God in the flesh. There was glory on him. I beheld the glory. As a man, I beheld the glory. Hebrews 1, just write it down. It says this. Jesus, God has spoken to us by his son Jesus, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Look at this. Verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, Jesus Christ, the brightness of the glory of the Father and the express image of his person. The uh, term express image. Interesting term. I'm like, Lord, what is that? So I look it up. It's a Greek word. It's the same uh, term that we get the word character from. In fact, in, in the Greek transliteration, is spelled almost exactly the same. Character. Character. And what I was talking about was this. They had an engraving tool that would, they would take an original and they would engrave from the original with this instrument and get an exact replication of that original. It was exactly the same as the first one. And I thought about it. You know, we use this term character to describe who people play in movies. They play a character. See, they don't just, they become that person. Jesus, God in the flesh, the express image, the character of the Father. 
the essence of the Father. Jesus, the brightness of his glory, the exact representation. That's what, that's what it's telling us. It's the exact representation of the Father. Have we comprehended a man who's the exact representation, who is God in the flesh? Have we, have we seen this? We, we've, yeah, Jesus, Son, God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. I mean, really, the brightness, Christ, the brightness of his glory, the brightness of his glory. Jesus, the brightness of the glory of the Father. John 14, 9 and John 12, 45, Jesus said this, he goes, if you see me, you see the Father. If you see me, you see the eternal one. You see the uncreated. You see the divine. No wonder John said, I beheld his glory. Now flip over with me to John 17. Now look at this. This little path we're on in John. John starts off by saying, we beheld his glory. And then Jesus prays this interesting thing in the high priestly prayer in John 17. Look at verse 4. He says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself. Look at that. With the glory which I had with you before the world was. (laughs) Restore me to the place of glory that I had with you before the world was even created. He says, as a man, I've set aside all that glory. But John said, as a man, I beheld his glory. But Jesus said there at the end of his life, he goes, now, Father, take me and put me back in that position and re-array me with glory like I had before the world was. He goes, I want you to put it back on me like I had to begin with. And then he says this, verse 6, he goes, I have manifested, I have manifested your name to the men who you have given me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. And they've kept your word. You know, I believe this, that Jesus, he says, I finished the work. I've glorified you, Father. I've manifested your name. I believe what he was saying is this. I glorified you and manifested your glory. How? By manifesting your name. Remember with Moses, he said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I'll declare my name. See, the glory of the Lord is hidden in the name of God. And so when Jesus manifests the name of the Father, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, compassionate, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. Remember the Pharisees? When Jesus lives his life out like that, what's he doing? Manifesting the glory of the Lord. When John says, I beheld his glory, what was he talking about? He goes, I beheld Jesus Christ manifesting all the essence, the very character of God in the earth. And Jesus' answer to all that is this. He goes, Father, I've finished the work. I've glorified you on the earth. Now I'm asking you, put the glory back on me that I had before the world ever was. And so John, who records the high priestly prayer, actually gets to encounter Jesus with the glory back on him before the world ever was. Flip over to Revelation 1. What was that glory? What was the glory that Jesus had before the world was created? What did that, what was that? He manifested glory when he changes the water into wine in John 2. John records, he says, that's the beginning of Jesus manifesting his glory in the earth when he did this beginning of miracles. So John's equating his glory with beauty and power. Beauty and power. Now look at Revelation 1. Look at verse 10. Lord, would you just come on this? He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet 
And the voice was saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Consider that. Jesus Christ declaring himself the Alpha, the Omega. He is God. I am the beginning and the end. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Verse 12. This is what I would do. A voice like a trumpet behind me. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, John, that you have apostolic authority over. That's what he's telling him. John turns around to see and having turned I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the seven lampstands one like the son of man clothed with a garment down to the feet girded about the chest with a golden band his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth was a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance, and his countenance was like the sun. Shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. In other words, it's me, John. It's me. John writes in John 1, I beheld his glory. What do you think John would write? After Revelation 1, I really beheld his glory. He actually gets to see Jesus with the glory that Jesus had before the world was. His face shines like the sun in its strength. Consider that for a minute. Because he has a bright face shining with glorious light and beauty. Yet even... Beyond that, he can see his eyes burning with fire. The eyes are burning brighter than the face, or else you couldn't see them. The eyes are burning with love, burning with passion, burning with justice, burning with vindication. Jesus, the brightness of the glory of the Father. John sees him, His head and his hair are white as wool. His feet are glowing like bronze. His face is shining like the sun. His eyes are burning, flaming with fire. And when John sees this, he falls out. Falls down as a dead man. Oh, I want to perceive him in his beauty. I want to perceive him in his glory. Here's why. I'm convinced if we see Jesus, he'll allure us. He'll capture us. If he captures my gaze, he'll have my affections. If he captures my focus, he'll have my heart. I want to behold him in his glory. See him for who he is. I want to see the one with eyes of fire. I want to see the one with hair like wool. I want to see the one who's tender and says, John, don't be afraid. From there, I believe I'll be a person that loves him well. I'll love him well. Love him with a soul that's abandoned to God. Love him with a heart that's got full passion for him. He's not ugly, beloved. He's beautiful to behold. Beautiful to behold. You know, Isaiah saw his glory. John 12, 41 says that Isaiah beheld the glory of the Lord. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees his glory. 
Isaiah sees him, and the room is full of smoke, and the voice of the cherubim, it's shaking the doorposts. And this train, he's got this, this cape, this robe, it's filling the temple. And when he sees him, he says, I am undone. I'm undone. We need to be undone. We are too done. I'm telling you. We need to be undone. We need to, you know what I'm saying? When you're undone, the other stuff doesn't have your affection, I promise you. When you're undone, everything pales. When you're undone, you fall in love. I want to be undone. I want to be messed up. That's what he said. When he said undone, that word, the word for undone is, I am cut off. I'm destroyed. He goes, I'm slayed. I'm slayed. Why? Why, Isaiah? Why are you slayed? Because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. My eyes have seen the king. The Lord of hosts. I tell you, I'm so jealous for some, and I I guess I hope it's godly, but some people have gone and seen Jesus. You know, the little little kid will come to me, yeah, I had a dream, and I was there in the throne room with Jesus. He told me he loved me, and he gave me a hug. I'm like, that's nice. Good for you. Because in my heart, I want to see him. I want to see him. My eyes are so dull, so dim. So many other things get my attention, my affections, even doing ministry, even planning, even strategizing. I want to see the king. I want to say like Isaiah, I'm undone because my eyes have seen him. The Lord of hosts. I've seen the one who's the captain of the angelic armies of heaven. I've seen him in his beauty. I've seen him arrayed in majesty. In John 17 again, Jesus, he prays this. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am and that they may behold my glory. Because I want them to see the beauty of who I am. I want them to be allured and captivated. I want them to be with me and be drawn in and sense the emotion and the longing and the desire that I have for them. Because, Father, I know if they see the beauty you've given me and they sense the overflow and desire and delight of my heart for them, then they will love me well. I know that's what he's saying. Because I want them to with me and I want them to see me and see all, all that I am so that they'll, they'll fall in love. I want them to fall in love with me. Do you, do you hear the heart of Jesus? He wants a people who will love him well. And he just wants to be perceived rightly so that if we see him, We'll fall in love with him. And how dim, I'm just so, I'm touched right now over this point. How dim have my eyes been? I haven't seen him, haven't rightly esteemed him, and haven't loved him with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength. He goes, God, I want them to behold my glory, which you've given me. And then he references it again. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. He's talking about the glory that he had with the Father again before the foundation of the world. He goes, I want them to see this. I want them to know my emotions and my affections. And then we get so many verses. Beloved, do you have any concept where this thing is going? We have the opportunity now. 1 Corinthians 13, it tells us that we see through a glass darkly. We see dimly. It's enough to mess your heart up for good. It really is. It's enough to captivate you all the days of your life and leave you in in starstruckness. I mean, it really is. 
But it's just darkly. But it says, and then we'll see him. In a minute, we're going to see him. And we're going to see him face to face. We're going to see him as he is. So 1 John 3 tells us, we'll see him as he is. And when we see him, we'll be like him. You have any concept where this is going? Isaiah 4, verse 2. It says this, in that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. He shall be beautiful and glorious. What is he talking about? He's talking about this. The day when Jesus reigns from Jerusalem, he's not going to reign with veiled glory. He's not going to be the Jesus they saw on the road to Emmaus. He's going to be the Jesus that John fell at his feet as dead in Revelation 1. He's going to be beautiful and glorious. And all the nations of the earth are going to see him in his glory. Isaiah 33 says this, that we will see, our eyes shall, shall see the king in his beauty. In his beauty. We're going to see him in his beauty, completely unveiled. All the veils are going to go away. And we're going to perceive Christ arrayed in the glory of the Father in complete manifested beauty. This is where this thing is going. That alone is enough to draw our hearts into abandonment. I get it. I know why Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He goes, it be better for you if I stay here, and it will mean more fruit for my labor. But he goes, but oh, I'm caught between the two, because I want to see him. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. That's the apostle. That's the apostle of the New Testament. He goes, I want to see him. What's it going to be like in the next age when all the kings of the earth, the Bible tells us in Revelation uh, 22, that they are going to be all bringing the wealth of their nations and dropping them off for Jesus in Jerusalem. Why? Because in that day, Haggai tells us he will be, he's going to be so amazing. He will be the desire of all nations. The, the sole desire of all nations. Zechariah 2 says this. He goes, I will be the glory in your midst, Jerusalem. Zechariah 6, he says this. The king, he'll rule on the throne of a priest. And that king, he'll bear the glory of the Lord. Jesus the most beautiful one there is. He's captivating. He's beautiful. And we sing the song, beautiful one I love. And we just kind of sing it through. And we don't know who we're talking about. He's going to be the desire of 262 nations. Every nation's going to want him. They're going to all want him. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, Zechariah 14 tells us. The Lord alone. Why? Because we're finally going to get to see him as he is. We're going to finally get to see him in his beauty. Finally get to see him. The branch of the Lord, beautiful, glorious, arrayed. Psalm 50, out of Zion. The perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. God will shine forth. Last verse, turn over to Psalm 27. David, I believe, had an encounter with the Lord that we only have hints at in scriptures. We don't really see him with the encounter, but I believe he had it. Psalm 145 says this, he goes, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty. I will meditate on the beauty and the glory of who you are. I will meditate on that. And so here we get David in Psalm 27. We get, I think it's the, I think it's the thesis statement of his life. I think it's, it's his entire mission statement. And David says this. He says, one thing 
I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. See, I believe David had an encounter with the Lord that, like Isaiah, left him undone. And I believe David, the answer of his life was this. He goes, I am the king. I've got everything I'd want. My, my armies are destroying all the other nations. I'm expanding the kingdom for Israel. I've got the promise that Messiah is going to come from my loins. I've got, you know, wives and riches and power. And I've got gifts. And I'm a musician and a singer. And I'm good looking. David's got all this stuff going for him. And he goes, actually, actually, I don't want one more military conquest. I don't want to take, I don't care about taking any more territory. I don't care about writing another song. I don't care about any earthly thing. One thing I desire. One thing I'll seek. Dwell in the house of the Lord all my life. I just want to look at him. I just want to gaze on his beauty. I want to gaze on him. There's no earthly accolades you can hand, you can hand me. Nothing's going to touch my heart. Because I've been messed up and all I really want is to live there. Gazing on the beauty of the Lord. I don't know, have we, have we rightly comprehended the glory of the Lord in the beauty of Christ? See, 2 Corinthians 4, it tells us that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, it shines from the face of Jesus. It shines from his face. In Revelation, it tells us that the eternal city is not going to need any sun or moon because the lamb, the lamb is its light. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. You know what I think the answer to uh, pornography addiction is? A revelation of the beauty of the Lord. A revelation of the beauty of the Lord. You know what I think the answer to a lust for money and power is? Revelation of the beauty of the Lord. You know what I think the answer to self-hatred and, 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 and abuse and, and all the, the issues that people struggle with? It's a revelation of the beauty of the Lord. And we're going there, beloved. Our eyes will see the king in his beauty. Our eyes are going to comprehend him as he is. With an unveiled face, we're going to see him. And all for the day. Until then, I want to say, I want my song to be the same as David's. One thing. Like really, one thing. And I look at my own heart and I go, oh God, all the other attractions. I want the things of earth to grow strangely dim and the love of his glory and grace. I live out all my days overwhelmed again and again and again. The glory of the Lord and the beauty of the face of Christ. If he were ugly, it would still be right for us to abandon our sub to him. But he's not. He's glorious, magnificent to behold, captivating to the human frame, alluring to the human heart. He is magnetic. And all that we would get revelation of this. The glory of the Lord and the beauty of the face of Christ. Oh, Jesus, the most beautiful one there is. I love you rightly. Just stand.
I want to love you rightly, Jesus. I want to fall in love, God. I want to love you rightly. I want to see you as magnificent. Oh, I want to obey Colossians 3. Set my mind. Things above. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Behold the beauty of the Lord. You know, the human frame, when we come in contact with glory, we have two responses. The first response is we are captivated in the Lord. The second response, we are terrified and horrified. He will simultaneously captivate us and terrify us. I want to go in. I want to be like Moses. I want to go in. I want, I want what John, he saw his face shining like a sun in his strength. So many temporal issues are handled. If we could just see him rightly. We could just see him rightly. Strongholds are broken in the knowledge of him. I tell you, the dullness of our heart, it fades in the light of his glory. Paul sees the light of the glory of the Lord and he becomes blinded to earthly things. It's a reality of what happened, but it's a metaphor of truth. When you see the glory of the Lord, you become blinded to earthly things. Flood our eyes with light, God. Flood my eyes with light. Your eyes will see the King in His beauty. You're going to see the King in His beauty.